Tonight, a police document shows the entire Canadian political class was lying about the mass shooter last month in Toronto. It's September 24th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Last month, a Muslim man named Faisal Hussain walked down Toronto's Greek Down neighborhood, down the popular Danforth Avenue shooting everyone he met. He murdered two women, an 18-year-old named Reese Fallon and a 10-year-old girl named Juliana Kozis. And he wounded a dozen more. Now, I just said Faisal Hussain walked down the street shooting everyone he met, but that's not actually accurate. He ran into a man named Jaspal Singh, who's a Sikh man, and Faisal Hussain, the murderer, told that Sikh man, who obviously has brown skin and could appear to be Muslim, I suppose, Faisal Hussain told him, and I quote, Don't worry, I'm not going to shoot you. And he didn't shoot him, in fact. In fact, Hussain later said to him, Get out of the way! To protect him from his mayhem. But this same Faisal Hussain stood on top of a woman and shot her four times. How does that make sense? Why would a mass shooter go out of his way to warn and even protect one random person and yet shoot another random person four times? Well, I don't think it's random. I'll give you my theory in a moment and I'll give you more facts. And these are rock solid facts. The images I just showed you are statements from police witnesses at the scene that day. The quotes I showed you were from a legal document called an information to obtain telewarrant to search. In other words, it's the facts that the police put to a judge on July 24th of this year, the day after the mass shooting, to get a search warrant for the murderer's house and belongings. So this was all the facts that the police had within the first 24 hours or so that were given to the judge. And as you can see right there on the document, at 10.10 10 p.m., uh, the warrant was, in fact, issued by a judge. Now, information contained in a document like this, it's called an ITO in shorthand. It's, it's not tested in court yet. Uh, it, it's in the form of allegations, witness statements, etc. So the facts here hasn't yet been challenged by the other side, even though there is no other side here, as the murderer apparently killed himself. Being a search warrant, it is done ex parte, which means only the police go to court, the information is kept confidential because the whole point of a search warrant is to move quickly and if possible with the element of surprise because you don't want people to move or hide or destroy things that you want searched. So obviously the killer's family knew this search was coming. It wasn't a surprise. They might have in fact moved or destroyed things, but let me show you this document called the information to obtain because it's fascinating now that it's been made public. And the reason it's fascinating is not only because it tells us more details about that horrific shooting, but also because it proves that the official alibi served up both by the family and the media and the federal government were all lies. They were lying about the shooter and they knew it, but they lied anyway to you. They lied to you. Now, some of the information in this information to obtain search warrant request, it's vague as it often is in the fog of the moment, like this. Several witnesses reported seeing the shooter speaking with another male or another male running from the scene. Now that could be people just confused in the shock and mayhem of the moment. The people running away could have been innocent bystanders fleeing. The other male talking might have been Jasper Singh, whose life was spared, we don't know. You know how difficult it is to be a witness in a crisis. Three people can see the same car accident and describe it in three different ways, and each of them can truly believe they're telling the honest truth. So maybe there wasn't a second shooter there, but some witnesses said there were. But here's another piece of information that we learned from this same police ITO that I hadn't seen before, at least not widely published. The murderer, Faisal Hussain, he had reportedly had a brother in a coma, a drug dealer brother, who was also associated with gun running. Now we knew about that, but he also has another brother, I suppose, who's not in a coma, who is his twin. 
the Danforth murderer has a twin brother. Did you know that? I'm not saying the twin was involved. I mean, how would I know? I'm just saying that was kept a pretty close secret till now, wasn't it? Police say several witnesses claim to have seen another man. Was it him? I have no idea. The brother hasn't been charged. I'll tell you more about the family soon. Now, Faisal Hussein, the murderer, lived with his parents. He was 29 years old, a bit of a loser. But let me tell you about his bedroom at his parents' home. Look at section 21 of this police ITO. Again, this is the document the police took to the judge asking for a search warrant. They were in the home with a police dog. So that's what the phrase, the dog hit this means. It means the police dog found something. So let me quote from this police document. The dog then hit on a sleigh bed that had two drawers under it. The dog indicated on the left drawer. When the drawer was opened, the following was located. And then you, you see it's all blacked out. I think that, that's by the judge. I presume that's whose signature that is before this ITO document was released to the public. But it was done using a black pen, and it didn't actually cover up the words very well. I'm not sure if you could see it through your TV screen, but if you look very closely, you can clearly make out the words that were covered up. Two AK-47 magazines, fully loaded with ammunition. Two 9mm handgun magazines, fully loaded with ammunition. A variety of handgun and shotgun ammunition. That's what's blacked out. But I can still read it, and you can too. Why was that blacked out? Why is that part being kept secret? This is what an AK-47 looks like, by the way. It's a cheap submachine gun, often associated with terrorists, or the third world because it's of Russian manufacture. There's some Chinese knockoffs too. So it's not hard uh, to, to get, like a full machine gun, but it's not easy to get. That is a Russian submachine gun. A 9mm handgun isn't easy to get either, but an AK-47. How do you get one of those? And how do you keep all that AK-47 ammo under your bed, just in a drawer, and your, your mom and dad never find it? Really? Now, I haven't lived at home with my parents in a long time, but I think I know that moms clean the house and check things out out of curiosity, out of ownership, being nosy, I don't know, whatever. But we're told that all this ammo was a great surprise to the parents. <laughs> yeah, I'll get back to that in a moment, but look at what's unredacted. Right under there, a white powdery substance. What, what does that mean? Was it just sugar or flour or cocaine or, or some sort of poison? And look at that underneath it, an Islamic headdress. Huh. So that's what he kept in his chest of secrets. Guns, or at least ammo for guns, and an Islamic headdress, and that white powder. I guess those things sort of go together these days, don't they? Now, in Section 28 of the ITO, police refer to a PIP check, a PIP check. That uh, stands for a police information portal. It's basically a big police database. And they find that eight years ago, Faisal Hussain had three reports with the Toronto police calling him an emotional disturbed person, three within two months. They also uh, say he needed an ambulance for something and that he drove with a suspended license and that he was suspected of selling drugs. Okay, so this is interesting. It shows a criminal not a nice little boy as the media portrayed him. He was disturbed, or at least they say he was, eight years ago. Who knows what that means? But look at this part. This is paragraph 30 of the ITO, section H. This is police interviewing his twin brother. He advised that in the past, Faisal has robbed a store with a gun, called the police to say he wanted to kill himself, and has been on antidepressants. Now, those are three very different things, aren't they? But robbing a store with a gun, that's not just selling some weed. That's armed robbery. That's the stuff that can put you away in prison for a decade. Let me read some more. Here's from the very next line. This is the twin brother talking about the murderer. He started attending the mosque with his father, but did not seem that interested in religion. Oh, so he was going to mosque. Next line. Faisal was into guns when he was younger, but has no idea how he would have obtained one. Yeah, no idea. Sure you don't. I hear twins never tell each other anything. And one more. About four years ago, 
he remembers Faisal visiting Pakistan with his father. Oh, really? You mean Pakistan, the terrorist-supporting state where Osama bin Laden was found hiding out? Pakistan, the Muslim ethno-state with nuclear weapons where Omar Khadr trained? Yeah, that Pakistan where the terrorists like to use AK-47s. I'm sure it's nothing. Let's move down to the dad, who was also interviewed by cops. Section 32F of the police document says his dad, quote, took Faisal to Islamabad, Pakistan, about two to three years ago to visit family. Faisal was happy on the trip and did not want to return because people left him alone there. Oh, really? So he didn't really much like Canada, didn't want to come back to Canada, didn't like people here in Canada, he liked it better in Pakistan. Next, next paragraph, his dad forces Faisal to attend Dur Islam Mosque, as he does not go willingly. I wonder if that's true. In the next line, Faisal didn't smile much lately and only came out of his room to eat. <laughs> well, we know that's not true because he had a job. Maybe, maybe the dad means he only uh, didn't come out of his room when he was at home. Here's my favorite line. Ready? Do you think this is true? The dad says he never saw any evidence of guns in the apartment and claims to have checked the room every few weeks. <laughs> yeah, really. That's an odd way of putting it, isn't it? For the dad, especially. Here's a story from July that talks about Faisal Hussein and his family and guns. Ready? Danforth, gunman's pal accused in drugs, gun seizure. A longtime friend of Danforth Avenue shooter Faisal Hussein was released on bail after being accused in the largest seizure of carfentanil in Canadian history, along with 33 firearms and ammunition in his Pickering rental property. Court transcripts state 33-year-old Maisam Ansari, who grew up in the same neighborhood as Faisal, uh, Fahad Hussein, the brother of Greektown gunman Faisal Hussein, was charged last September with possessing 53 kilograms of carfentanil, an analog of fentanyl, and 100 times stronger than the painkiller and notoriously deadly street narcotic. By the way, carfentanil is so toxic, it's not just a drug, it can be a terrorist weapon of mass destruction. It's, it's like a kind of poison gas, a chemical weapon, and 53 kilograms is enough if it were, say, put into the ventilation system of a building or a stadium to kill everyone inside. But I'm sure that Dad knew nothing about the guns and the white powdery substance, and the brother, too. They, they both of them had no idea, people. Swear to Allah, it's true. Look what the mom said. I'm guessing the police used common sense and police tactics and interviewed the mom and the dad separately so they couldn't compare notes. Paragraph 33 of the ITO says the mom was unaware of why she was at the police station. The situation was explained to her and she was upset and did not know why he did the shooting. <laughs> really, let me read more. Section F, she advised that she has never seen Faisal with a gun. He has no friends and has never had a girlfriend. I believe that. Faisal stays in his room for hours listening to music on his cell phone and goes for walks in the evening. But she does not know where he goes. Really? Never seen him with a gun, eh? Had no idea there were guns in his room in her house. Even after the family friend was arrested with 33 guns. Never heard of it, eh? Brother says Faisal robbed a bank, but the mom hadn't heard of that. No, no, no. Just never heard it. Nah. And you know, he goes for walks for hours, but she doesn't know where. Scouts honor. But look at paragraph 33, section I. The mom advised the following about Faisal. She advised that he has never left Canada. Has never left Canada. Really. Both the brother. And her husband, the father, said Faisal Hussein went with the father to Pakistan. But the mom just said, no, 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 he's never left Canada. Did she really forget her own husband and her own son going to Pakistan just a couple years ago? Did she really forget that? Or was she trying to be clever and realizing that something bad happened on that trip and best not to tell the police about it, not knowing what her other family members might say and hoping they wouldn't blab Here's some more from Section 33 of this ITO. No drugs. <laughs> yeah, I'll mention that again in a moment. Here's some more. Item 8. Faisal Hussain never talked about guns and never seen him angry. 
Never, eh? Not even during that huge arrest. Never seen him angry. You've been his mother for 29 years since he was an infant. Is it really true that you have never seen him angry? You're not, what's the word? You're not lying, are you? Now look at paragraph 34 of the ITO. It refers to a propaganda statement, a PR statement, a press statement issued by the family. As you can see, though, it wasn't signed. It was written in perfect English with a PR savvy, and every journalist in the media party ran with it as if it were the absolute gospel because it said what they all wanted to hear. As the police quoted it, our son had several mental health challenges, struggling with psychosis and depression his entire life, etc., etc. But that's not actually true, is it? He had three incidents in 2010 where the police said he was disturbed, but that's it for eight years. And you heard the mom. She said he wasn't on any drugs. Now, who knows what she meant, but she said it. But of course, we learned that that statement was not actually written by the family, and it wasn't signed by the family, so I suppose it didn't pretend to be written by the family. It was all a lie added by the media party. It was written, in fact, by a Muslim political activist who knew he had a job to do to de-Islamify the shooting, to decriminalize the shooting. Just, I was just at mental illness, as is the usual way to go when a Muslim terrorist attack happens. Oh, it wasn't Islam. It was mental illness, people. He was such a nice kid. Or as CTV actually put it at the time, people who knew him say he was unflinchingly polite, had a smile that could light up a room, and worked multiple jobs, including at a Loblaws grocery store, to help take care of his aging parents. They seriously wrote that about a mass murderer. But which was it? Was he depressed? Or did he light up a room with a smile? Let me speed up because I want to cover some more from this police ITO document. Look at section 35, and remember this is what the police show the judge. Now this is where the police list what they seized and what they wanted permission from the judge to search. This is what the search warrant was for. Look at this. Now there's a lot of blackouts here that I can't read through the, the ink, but look at what I can read. All right, count with me. A Samsung S4 cell phone. A black cell phone with the words BLU on front and back. A black Galaxy S4 Samsung. I guess that's another one. A silver Samsung phone. A black Blackberry phone. What's that? Is that five cell phones were up already? Do you have five cell phones on your Loblaws salary? Active right there in your room. Do, do you have even two cell phones? Who has even two cell phones? I mean, a criminal, maybe? A drug dealer, maybe? Someone trying to hide their tracks? Someone trying to evade being traced? Five cell phones? And, and look at paragraph 36. There's more stuff. Black IBM ThinkPad. White iPad. Silver iPad. Black IBM ThinkPad laptop. Just how many computers and smartphones can one person use? I, I think that's nine of them? Nine? Smartphones and computers for someone who, who works at Loblaws making, what, 15 bucks an hour? You got nine smartphones and, and laptops. Oh, and AK-47 ammo, and a trip to Pakistan that the mom denies, and a Muslim headdress. What does that mean, by the, by the way? Is it just a keffiyeh, or did it have ISIS imagery on it? Well, we don't know. Now, the last thing I'm going to mention is on page 20 of the ITO called Grounds to Believe the Item Sought Will Afford Evidence to the Offense. So to be clear, that there had already been interrogations, there had already been a search. This was to get the court's permission to unlock these locked smartphones and computers to see what was on them. Emails, communications, things like that. What, five phones, four computers? I'm curious, aren't you? And the cops list the obvious reasons why they want that authority from the judge, but the top of page 21 is all blacked out, and I can't read through this one. Do you think just maybe, just maybe it referred to ISIS? I bet it does, because ISIS did in fact take credit for this attack. ISIS isn't promiscuous that way. If you take credit for everything and anything, no one believes you anymore. I, I don't trust ISIS, of course, I hate them, of course, but when they say they take credit, there is often evidence for that. For example, Michael Zahaf Bibo, that's the terrorist who murdered Corporal Nathan Cirillo and attacked our parliament before he went on his spree. Well, he recorded into his cell phone, as you can see here, a statement where he said he was doing this as inspired 
by the Islamic State. They hadn't positively direct him or planned it. They inspired him and gave him advice, probably online, and he gave them a shout out on his phone. Is that what happened here? Is that on one of his cell phones, maybe? I have no idea. But what I do know is that the official story we were told here is a pack of lies. I think Faisal Hussein was a loser. I believe that part. I believe that he had no girlfriend. I believe he's a loser living at home with his parents. But what evidence is there of massive psychosis and extreme mental illness as per the spin doctor's lies that the media all retail? There is none. It's a lie. But we know his brother was a gangster, at least one of them. And if there are two brothers, we know that his twin brother claimed that Faisal Hussein was a gangster too, who used a gun to rob a store. His father took him to his Pakistan, and his mother is lying about that. The cops found AK-47 ammunition and 9mm handgun ammunition in his room, and the courts tried to black that out, but we saw it. Now, why would they black that out? What's that got to do with a secret? I mean, murderer's dead. What else are they blacking out? We know the media spin was a lie. We know that Ralph Goodale and Bill Blair, Trudeau's cabinet ministers, immediately swooped in to say there was no terrorist connection. Well, how could they have said so so quickly? Did they even know about the Pakistan trip? Did they know about the AK-47 ammunition? Did they know about the Muslim headdress? Did they know about the white powder? Did they know about the armed robbery? What else did they know? What else do they know that they're not telling us? Why were they involved, by the way, at all, if this was just a mental health thing? This mass shooting was a terrible tragedy for the two murder victims and for the dozen wounded victims and for the peace and security of the city and the country. But what we're also learning, whether it's this attack or the murder of Marissa Shen in Burnaby, allegedly by one of Trudeau's Syrians, or whenever there's an attack preceded by the shout, Allah Akbar, what we know is that immediately our news media stops being reporters and starts being anti-reporters, unreporters, spin doctors, downplayers, distractors. You can't trust the media because they're not about uncovering the truth. So back to Jaspal Singh. Remember him? That's the brown man, a Sikh man who could have been mistaken for a Muslim. He told police that the murderer walked up to him and said he wouldn't kill him. He said the murderer told him later, get out of the way. But that same murderer shot one woman, I presume a white woman, four times. Bam, 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 bam. Why did the Muslim murderer spare a brown man? Was it because he thought he was a fellow Muslim? Why did he drive all the way from his neighborhood in Thorncliffe Park to the Greek Christian neighborhood of the Danforth? Why? Yeah. Don't expect any further inquiries into that by anyone. This police ITO document has more truth than we have been told before, but I am completely sure that this will be spun in favor of the murderer by the mainstream press. If you want to review the entire document for yourself, you can. We've posted it on our website under this video. And I can promise you that no matter what names the media party call us, we're going to continue to tell you the truth about the Danforth mass shootings, because that's our job, even if the rest of the media has forgotten theirs. Stay with us for more. Well, an interesting story over the past week has been the Chinese-Canadian community breaking from their assigned official narrative. Here's a video that we made summarizing what went on in two minutes. Take a look. I am more than comfortable uh, that doing uh, what we've done, accepting in 25,000 Syrian refugees, uh, does right by both the safety of Canadians uh, and uh, by the values that define us as a nation. Would you be just as comfortable if there was a terrorist attack carried out by someone who came through as a refugee? Ultimately, being open and respectful towards each other uh, is uh, much more powerful as a way to defuse uh, hatred and uh, anger uh, than um, you know, layering on, you know, big walls and uh, oppressive policies.
Some people say that if it hadn't been for the surge in Syrian refugees after the 2015 election, uh, guys like this guy would not be here. I'm not one of those people who says that. A life got terminated at 13 years old. And where's the leader? We are here, yes. We demand the Prime Minister to apologize. Well, that petition at ApologizeNow.com has tens of thousands of signatures by all sorts of Canadians, but so many are Chinese Canadians who are furious with what they perceive to be second-class citizenship, at least in the eyes of Justin Trudeau. What's so interesting is that some of our videos, which we had captioned in Chinese language, have been featured in Chinese language media and have circulated in places that generally don't talk about conservative things. But that's the thing about a 13-year-old girl murdered, allegedly, by one of Trudeau's Syrian migrants, is that people start talking about things like justice and proper vetting of immigrants. Well, that protest you saw at the end there, where that Chinese-Canadian man said it's time for Trudeau to apologize, there were dozens of Chinese-Canadians there. There were a handful of Syrian migrant activists. That was a little vigil. Uh, set up by a professional Syrian migrant advocate. But there were also other British Columbians there who came in solidarity with the Chinese-Canadian community, and one of them joins us now in studio here in Toronto. May I welcome to the studio Laura Lynn Thompson. Laura, great to see you here yes. in Toronto. Thank you. Thank you, Ezra. Thanks for all that you guys do at The Rebel. Well, I'm so glad to have you here, and I know you've talked uh, to our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed in the past. Love Sheila. Me too. It's, it was interesting to see you down there. Now, you mm. live in Burnaby, which is where this horrific murder happened. You're running for school trustee there. Tell me what it was like as a Burnaby resident. Mm -hmm. Has this murder been front page news for really a year now? Yes. Well, you know what? I actually live uh, four minutes from the Burnaby uh, area. And when my Burnaby friends were grieving the loss and the Chinese community said they were going down, I got a couple of people who just said, will you come? Will you come? It'd be great. In, in fact, invite all your friends. So I did, uh, you know, send it out sort of to my friends and say, you know, who wants to go down? But, you know, people are working mm -hmm. and they're busy. And I thought this will just be an ordinary day. I'm going to head down to support my immigrant friends who I uh, are, are grieving the loss of this precious young Marissa Shen. Not only that, but she was murdered in Central Park. When I was growing up and I was 14, I spent hours and hours and hours of my life mm -hmm. as a young girl in Central Park. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just very personal, Ezra, mm -hmm. and that's why I was there. Yeah. And now I saw you were getting into a lively discussion. I'm not going to call it an argument, although I saw there was one fella who was arguing with you. I want to play a clip where you were uh, making points similar to what you're saying here, and someone accused you. You were standing there in support of Marissa Shen. You yes. were there with the Chinese Canadian community, yes. and yet someone called you an insult. Let's play that clip mm. right now, and I, I got a question for you afterwards. All Take right. a look family will never have their daughter back. They will never enjoy a wedding. They will never see anything that she goes through. Why? Because we are allowing all of these immigrants to, to cross the borders. They're unvetted. They're unchecked. It's happening with thousands of people. That's it's not okay. Racist on national it's, what is racist about that? If they're white people, they shouldn't be crossing the border without us knowing who they are. It has nothing to do with race. This is safety. This is about our land being safe. And it's disgusting. And now a family is paying the ultimate price. This guy should be sent back to where he came from or spend a lifetime in jail. We don't have strong enough uh, measures to be taken for the loss this family has faced. So you were holding court there. It looked like a lot of different reporters. I saw uh, Omni Channel, which I understand is a multicultural TV channel. Yeah. I know CBC was there, CTV. Now, someone said, how do you feel about being a racist on national TV? Was that a reporter who asked that, or was that some bystander? 
I actually cannot be certain. My memory is completely gone of who was yelling this uh uh, question at me. I, I was absolutely in shock that they would think this was a racist issue when clearly I'm there supporting uh, my immigrant friends mm -hmm. who, you know, many of them speak Chinese and we have to communicate, you know, mm -hmm. using chopped up English. Mm -hmm. And I love these people. How is this a racist issue yeah. at all? I, I was very incensed by that. And the only reason that I found myself in that scrum, I know I'm a media person, but I was incensed because there was another reporter that was going after a Chinese immigrant man who was trying to express mm -hmm. his sadness. And they were saying to him things like, well, wasn't it difficult for you to get in here? So you want stronger, stringent things, yeah. more strong than you had, yeah. you know? And so, and I, I thought it was so offensive the way the reporters were speaking to this man that I piped up oh. and there, thereby got into the scrum of everybody speaking. Isn't that interesting? And I saw that, I did a show a few days ago, how all the reporters said, oh, this is so unexpected, by which they mean, oh, these Chinese Canadians weren't saying what we want them to say. They w aren't in love with Trudeau Syrian migrants. I, I believe that Chinese Canadians in the main came to Canada by applying and following the rules. I don't see it waves of Chinese Canadians sneaking in through the New York border with Quebec, as we yes. see recently. They're not being flown over unvetted by Justin Trudeau as with the Syrians. So if you're a Chinese Canadian in Vancouver, you probably follow the rules, you probably pay taxes, you probably want to be protected. And of course you're incensed at these fakers, these bogus refugees from New York and the dangerous ones from Syria. It's not a race issue. It's not even an immigration issue. It's a safety issue. It's a safety issue. And the people that are the most upset by what is going on with this Trudeau policy uh, to have unvetted people coming through are immigrants. Mm -hmm. They are the people that have come to Canada because they love Canada. They've paid the price. They've done the paperwork. They've uh, expressed their love for this nation. They have come here. They want to be safe. They want their children to be safe. And so what they see is, uh, is a dangerous move by the Trudeau government in what he's doing. It's very interesting because this is the second time that at least parts of the Chinese Canadian community have felt snubbed. Uh, earlier this year, there was an 11-year-old girl in the Toronto area who claimed she was attacked by an Asian man uh, who allegedly attacked her with scissors to cut her hijab. This, the story didn't make any sense in, in a bunch of ways, but she, instead of being whisked away in a, a police manhunt for this guy, they put her on TV, an 11-year-old girl. It was so obviously not right Lady was revealed as a hoax. Now, Justin Trudeau put out a tweet immediately standing with this 11-year-old Muslim girl right. and her allegations against the Asian community. So many Chinese people were furious. There were protests all across Canada, Ottawa, Toronto, Edmonton, probably others, because Trudeau did not take down his allegation. After the hoax was revealed, Trudeau did not correct or retract in any way. So you have his immediate show of concern for a girl who was lying. Right. But Trudeau avoided this issue mm -hmm. as much as possible because I think it's on him. Right. And I, I actually saw the interview the other day where he was asked about what has happened to Marissa Shen. And his response is so laughable and uh, uh, so offensive to the Chinese community. I, I have been on their WeChats now because this kind of blew up mm -hmm. after I was there that day, as you know, you know, with all this happened. And they, they just feel that Trudeau has an agenda. It's his own agenda. Mm -hmm. And he now uses uh, all of his policies to get reelected, uh, not certainly for the safety of the people that have even come as immigrants to be kept safe. And uh, with Marissa Shen, uh, this has hit this community to the core and they are very wounded over it. I spoke with uh, Marissa Shen's mother's lawyer and the worst this guy can get in Canada is 20 years and then deportation. That hmm. is what the lawyer says. Hmm. How Th that is not enough mm -hmm. of a compensation. Yeah. So in 20 years, then he's let out, Ezra, mm -hmm. into our midst, yeah, well, your he'll, daughter. He'll be let out far earlier than that, I'm, I'm sure of it. Now, right. you, you mentioned Trudeau's reaction. We played briefly. Um, he was asked two questions by Paul Wells the other day. We played the second one, but here, here's a short clip of the first one. 
he sort of sm smirks. smirks. He's, not, he's not laughing mm -hmm. at Marisha Sen. He's sort of, huh, why, do I, why do I even have to answer this? That's sort of the laughing. Take exactly. a quick look at this. Um, one is asking what you have to say about the, the arrest in British Columbia of Ibrahim Ali, who was a Syrian refugee, following the murder of a teenage girl named Marissa Shen. Uh, obviously, it, it's a, uh, devastating news for, for her family, for her friends. It's a terrible tragedy. Anytime uh, someone is murdered, it's a, it's a terrible thing. Uh, I trust our justice system. I trust uh, our system to, uh, to go through its processes to both um, apply consequences to this and uh, to make sure that we're, we're thinking about how we continue to keep people safe. A lack of empathy, a lack of compassion. Yeah. Um, he was not laughing at the family. He was sort of, <laughs> the question, it's ridiculous, of course. I mean, the, the fact that he didn't show his heart, mm -hmm. he was immediately there for the hijab hoax. But the coldness here, I think that's what was shocking to everyone, not just the Chinese community. Absolutely, and I, I've spoken with uh, some Chinese, uh, some of the community that uh, generally vote liberal, and the sense that they have is they are so, so upset yeah. by the response, and they were already upset with yeah. some of the other things yeah. uh, that, that Trudeau's doing, some of the policies he has yeah. that are really going against freedom of religion, freedom yeah. of thought, freedom of conscience in this country. People are up to here with it. Yeah, you know, um, you were called racist absurdly. You're standing yeah. in solidarity with a Chinese-Canadian family, and I don't know who it was. It sounded like an old-stock Canadian, almost like the same way they were interrogating these Chinese uh, Canadians, oh, how dare you? Like, it's yeah. so weird to see these white liberals telling Chinese Canadians how they should feel. But I want to show you the craziest thing. It's a Vice, I mean, Vice isn't even a real thing, but they, they had a, they published a story the other day, let's put it up on the screen right here, called How Anti-Immigrant Rhetoric Crept Into Chinese Canadian Politics. And if you read through this, they actually imply the Chinese Canadians who are upset about this young girl being murdered, the Chinese mm -hmm. Canadians who want refugees vetted as strictly as they were vetted, mm -hmm. they actually imply that Chinese Canadians are white supremacists. That's the insanity of the right. alt-left. Well, I can't believe it. Lately, you know, I've been called like like white privilege, basically, uh, because, uh, you know, uh, Ezra, I was born in Uganda, East Africa. My parents have never made more than $50,000. Uh, they were missionaries. Uh, they have saved a little nest egg because they believe in, you know, living well and, and saving money. And I grew up in Uganda, so I was the only white girl for the first eight years of my life hmm. in amongst the African, hmm. uh, my brothers and sisters, I call them. I still feel I'm African. Canadian. Uh, then I went up to the high Arctic to Taktoyaktuk. I was the only white girl in an Inuit school, only 800 in the whole community, hmm. right on the Beaufort Sea. I've been to talk. I, have you? <laughs> yeah, to talk? Oh, not very many people can say that. So I was bullied. I was thrown down on the ground. My brother had, my little tiny brother had to come in my mm. defense. They hated me. They called mm. me a white girl. And now I'm in Canada, you know, in Vancouver, BC, uh, standing up for an immigrant Chinese uh, family. And I'm called white privilege and white, mm. you know, uh, a white racist. And how would I ever know? And someone's even called me, you know, the Barbie uh, white, uh, you know, mm. white blonde girl. And so I'm being still bullied uh, for being blonde, for being white. Uh, like this has gone to levels that are that it makes no sense. It's illogical mm. and it's uh, it's absolutely sickening. Well, the fact that they're calling Chinese Canadians white supremacists shows that the word like if that's all that there's left here, I yeah. don't think that's going to be very effective with Chinese Canadians calling them racist. It's not about the color of anyone's skin. It's the fact that. These people weren't properly vetted. Justin Trudeau rushed them in. Yeah. But I want to I want to end by showing um, you were there speaking, and people could disagree with you, and people could debate you. But someone walked by and threw a coffee at you. Here, let's take a look. So that's it, so that we saw the coffee, and we saw the person turning around. Now I didn't see the face that looked like a hijab. Was that a woman in a hijab? I can't even tell if that's a woman right. or a Muslim woman or a Syrian woman. Let's play it one more time mm -hmm. and let's take a look so you can see the coffee being thrown and then 
the person turning away and mm -hmm. walking away. And all the media saw it. I saw in a different yeah. version of this, you can see a CBC logo on a microphone. Who was that person? Right. I have no idea. Did you see them it, and make eye contact? I made eye contact in a very brief, I would say literally a, a, a second and a bit. Mm -hmm. And the what, what I was most um, taken back by was not just the drink being thrown at me, but the hatred in their, in their eyes. Was that a woman? I believe it was, but it was a, a very unattractive woman, if I hmm. could be so bold and, as to and say. And was she wearing a, a was it a hijab? Like, was, was that an ethnic scarf? Or, like, I, I don't know, and right. I don't want to guess. It was so quick. It if was they, so quick. If there, were, if there was a Syrian vigil there, and I saw other Syrian women yes. with the hijab, did you recognize this? So you think it was a woman wearing a yes. hijab? Was it a Syrian person, maybe? It it could be. It was definitely yeah. someone of dark complexion. But I I do not know, nor could I testify that that would be a Syrian refugee that lived. It seemed to me the person lived in the neighborhood okay. because they sauntered through. Okay. The fact that no one did anything, and I'll tell you what else is very interesting, mm -hmm. Ezra, is that there's no audio. I know that this was released by Omni, I think, to our best uh, understanding. Right. Why did they release it with no, uh, with no audio? Right. Why has CBC not released it, right. to my knowledge, right. to this moment? Well, they were all there. CBC, CTV, Global, they were all there. Yes. They, were all, they all saw it in, the, in a different clip than that. You can see the CBC logo on a microphone. Yes. So they all saw it. Yes. And they didn't stop. They didn't break a beat. They didn't chase this person down. No. They didn't say, who are you? They didn't follow her. If the roles were reversed, if, God forbid, someone had thrown a hot coffee on a Muslim woman in a hijab and just continued to stroll, you know that all the journalists would have immediately ran, who's the white supremacist? This would have been the top of the news. For sure. The only media that reported this much later was Global after the police said they were investigating. Right. Well, um, good for Global. They were all there. They knew it had happened. Uh, you know, it took me five minutes to get all of the gunk off my face and down my jacket. Um, I, I've been asked, did that person say something? I believe that they did say something, but it was so fast, Ezra, and you mm -hmm. can see in the clip that I'm kind of talking yeah. and the, the you drink comes on me. You were focused on other things. And it was in hindsight that I thought, I think they did say something. And I would love to know what that is. Yeah. Global uh, or uh, Omni and CBC know what that is because they have the audio. And they, re you know what, that's, they're not reporting the story. They're anti-reporting, they're right. unreporting, they're disreporting, they're yeah. filtering, they're protecting, they're, they're tailoring, um, which is exactly what they were doing when they were saying, oh, these Chinese Canadians are yes. so unexpectedly against Trudeau. Oh, Mr. Chinese Canadian, uh, you're white supremacist. I mean, mm -hmm. of course they're tailoring, yes. of course they're lying. And you know, Ezra, I'd like to really give uh, props to the police. Do you know that as soon as I reported it, uh, they within uh, just a, a couple of hours, I was down at the police station. We did an audio and video uh, recording of my statements. Mm -hmm. I gave them all information that I know. They followed up with me, um, even this very morning, morning mm -hmm. in letting me know that they are actively pursuing it. They are looking at all the court. Oh, Apparently good. there's excellent Oh, I bet there's a lot of uh, closer view. to yes, there's, yeah. But we do, it would be good to know the audio. Yeah. I'm very curious well, about a clip released <laughs> with no audio. We're in media. Why would you do that? Yeah, don't expect the uh, government journalists at the state broadcaster to help you out yes. there. They're working for Justin I was Trudeau. told something, Ezra, mm. by the police. I was told, because I insisted, please get the uh, video. Please yeah. get the audio yeah. and video from CBC yeah. and Omni, because I actually uh, know yeah. the CBC uh, cameraman personally, yeah. and I verified that right. he had it all, right. and he told me he did. Please get it. And you know what they said? They said, you know, we really can't. Um, uh, it is has been a mandate that has come down from the Trudeau government that they do not have to cooperate mm -hmm. with the police, mm -hmm. that media does not have to cooperate with the police. Well, as a general rule of thumb, police would need a warrant to get something like that, but they can apply for a warrant. Mm -hmm. um, the fact, and, and I think that's probably appropriate that the government, that the broadcasters don't act as an arm of the police, but it's not to act as an arm of the police they should release it. They should release that because it's newsworthy. Right. Uh, it's extremely newsworthy, and we know that they would release it, they would rush to release it if the roles were reversed. So I, I, I think that the police should apply for a search warrant to get mm -hmm. the uh, identity of that person. Yes. But why are we even talking about 
that having to happen, where's good this, common, should, this should be news. Where's this is good news. common decency, yeah. Ezra? Where is Canadian decency? Well, where we all go? Element. These right. are reporters who aren't reporting. Right, where you say, wow, a crime happened right yeah. caught on camera. Yeah. Don't we release yeah, this? Yeah, throw it down the memory hole. It because could it, have yeah. been acid. I yep. am an outspoken person. Well, there's acid person. attacks in London all the time. I tend to create a little controversy wherever I go yeah. because I just, I speak common sense and logic. I speak what Canadians are afraid to say out loud. All of those, when you uh, did your tweet and it went viral and, you know, uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of views on on that thing, you know, people were saying this could have been much worse. Mm -hmm. And and people, in fact, in Europe and places like that are having, yeah. uh, you know, nasty substances uh, thrown towards them. So uh, my husband was concerned. My friends were concerned. And it's beginning to be an act of courage to even speak truth in this yeah. nation. And that's sad. You know, you're, you're referring to a tweet. And we'll just put it up on the screen here for a second. I, I just showed that very brief clip and I, and I pointed out the attack on you. I just wrote that tweet in, in like a minute. Right. And last I checked, it had been seen by more than 1.6 million people. And the clip on there 400,000 times. Why? Hmm. Because the media party has a cone of silence over that because the official journalists, the proper journalists, the right. mainstream media are hiding it. It Why? is not normal for 1.6 million people to look at a tweet. That's not normal. Right. It shows people are hungry for facts here and they know the official channels are lying. Yes, and in fact, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they do not trust the mainstream media. Yeah. You're doing the kind of media that gets to the bottom of things. I, in my very small way, uh, put out my own posts that people know that I'll tell the truth. And um, we're, we're facing a crisis in our nation, Ezra. We do not have courageous conversations anymore in Canada, not in the public forum. Mm -hmm. We do not have courageous leaders. We do not have courageous politicians. And I'm speaking about every party in our nation. Mm. And guess what? The grassroots people fed up to hear over yeah. it. You can be up here and, and be out of touch with what is going on, but the grassroots people, they're like, no, we're not falling mm. for this. Yeah, and it's very interesting that that's now the Chinese community shares that point of view. Well, listen, Laura Lynn Thompson, what a pleasure to have you here in Toronto. Thanks for going on Sheila's shows. I know she talks to you about uh, a variety of subjects. Mm -hmm. uh, we wish you good luck in Thank your you. campaign for school the school trustee. trustee in Burnaby. Yes. And um, stay safe on the streets. You know, it's no, the alt-left. Uh, and I don't know who this attacker was. I, mean, I don't even know if it's a woman. Uh, I didn't see the face. I mean, the, the, from the gate, who knows yeah. who it was. But uh, it was it's hard dangerous. To tell. Yeah, it's dangerous out there. Stay safe and uh, keep fighting for freedom. I will. All Thank right. you, Ezra, I get for the all you, you guys will. do. Well, thank, thank you very you. much. All right, there you have it. Laura Lynn Thompson, who was the center of the action in terms of the conversation and the coffee throwing that day on the streets of Vancouver. We will keep you posted on that story, which has so much interest both in the general community, but also the Chinese Canadian community, tens of thousands of whom have signed our petition. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue Thursday night about the ongoing NAFTA negotiations and Christian Freeland's t-shirt. <laughs> that shirt generating a lot of buzz with the fangirl Canadian media party. Robert writes, Strange how, other than communist China, no one else seems to have a problem making a deal with Trump. Well, look, Trump is a deal maker. His book is called The Art of the Deal. If he can make a deal with Mexico, if he, if he can, looks like he's making a deal with North Korea. If he can make a deal with the European Union, including that kooky president of the EU, Junker, he can make a deal with anyone. And you have to when you're in New York, real estate developer. The fact that he has not yet come to a deal with Canada suggests that Canada doesn't want a deal. Trump wants a deal. Maybe Canada doesn't want that deal. But you've got to resist pretty hard if you're Canada not to get a deal with Donald Trump. I think Trudeau doesn't want a deal. And maybe Trump prefers it that way. Wanda writes, 
I'm beginning to think that the cabal of crazed leftists around Trudeau actually believe that if we have 160,000 new jobless people on our hands, that's a good thing. More proof of the evils of capitalism, more victims to throw money at, more bureaucracy needed to administer the welfare programs, less carbon wafting around in the atmosphere, more taxation of those who still have jobs, one step closer to the Venezuelan model of prosperity. You know, I know that sounds crazy and you're trying to be dramatic and, you, you know, an argument ad absurdum or by absurdity to the point of absurdity. Um, I know you're trying to do that. I, I understand the, uh, the nuance of your letter. But I got to say that's a real possibility. Because they seem to rejoice in the shutting down of the oil industry and the pipeline industry and fracking and timber and coal and that's hundreds of thousands of jobs so if they're willing to scotch literally a hundred billion dollars when you add up all the lng liquefied natural gas all the pipelines a hundred billion dollars in a country as small as canada maybe you're right someone with the nickname alberta maga make alberta great again writes I would love it if Ford and other provinces made their own deals. Why shouldn't they? The liberals are useless and not going to get anything done anyways. Well, that's the thing about a country, though, is that international dealings are generally the jurisdiction of the federal government. Uh, if I can refer you to our Constitution, the Constitution Act, um, used to be called the BNA Act back in 1867, it splits the powers between the feds and the provinces. Feds get international things like the armed forces and foreign treaties. Province get things of a more local nature. You wouldn't want every province and every town signing a different foreign treaty. You just wouldn't. It would, it's not a country anymore, is it? So yeah, I mean, for better or for worse, and it's usually for better, <coughs> the federal government alone handles treaties. I like the fact that Doug Ford went down there as a symbol that not all Canadians support Justin Trudeau. I love the fact that he dared to have lunch at Trump Tower, because you know that Christy Freeland would never do that. Just the, the thought of giving a hundred bucks in lunch or whatever it costs to Trump and, and smiling as eating Trump's food, that would be so distasteful to Freeland. And that's exactly why Doug Ford did it, to show, oh, I'm not hostile to Trump. I think that was actually the most brilliant move of that whole trip. I'm pessimistic, though. I remain pessimistic. But I do say that by far Doug Ford is my favorite premier in Canada now. And I know that's like saying he's the tallest short guy. But uh, <laughs> him and Saskatchewan, Scott Moe, those guys, those guys are holding the fort. Jason Kenney will be on the team soon enough next year. And who knows? Quebec is coming up. We've got to get uh, Eric Duhem on the show to give us an update because the last poll I saw showed CAC, the Coalition Aventure de Québec, forgive my accent, uh, is in the lead in the polls. That's really, it's not the Liberals, and it's not the PQ, and it's not the, uh, the radical Solidaire Party. Uh, it's, um, it's the closest thing to a liberty-oriented party in Quebec. Wouldn't that be amazing if they won? Anyways, we'll have to have Eric on to talk about that. Well, thanks for watching tonight. Um, for those of you who tuned in on Friday and saw that the show wasn't there, please accept our apologies. Uh, there was a power blackout through much of Ontario because there was a windstorm. You might say, well, what's that got to do with anything? Well, Ontario diverted so many billions of dollars away from just maintaining the grid that there are blackouts and brownouts all the time in Toronto. Uh, throughout the province, really, but in Toronto, like for a, I think for a, a big city of its size in North America, it probably has more power blackouts than any other city in North America. Now, may, I haven't studied that, but that's just a hunch I have. That's what happens when you divert tens of billions of dollars to unreliable green schemes. So a windstorm knocked out a bunch of power. We were unable to upload and process the video on Friday night. So apologies for that. And hopefully that won't happen again. It's the first time that's happened to us in three and a half years. So hopefully it won't happen for a while. Anyways, until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, thanks for watching. Good night and keep fighting for freedom.